Bibles to Jer- uh, Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. The title this evening is A New Beginning. <clears throat> now, chapter 30 and 31 are connected, and they deal with future events. Chapter 30 this evening deals with the Great Tribulation period. And chapter 31 deals with the kingdom of God that will be established on earth after the earth has been judged by God by the Great Tribulation period. Now these are prophecies about the last days, still future. When Daniel was writing his prophecies in Daniel chapter 12, the Lord told him to seal up these things. That God had spoken to Daniel about. He said to Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. In other words, Daniel, this isn't given to you. It's not for you to understand or to know. Just write what I tell you, seal it up until the time of the end. And at that time, we will understand. You see, in the ancient world, official matters were approved with two documents. One that was sealed, and that one that was kept in a safe place, and, 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 was kept, and it was, uh, that one was kept available. God looked at Daniel's book as the deed or document that guaranteed that God would faithfully keep his promises to the people of Israel. To close up the book and to seal it didn't mean that it was, Daniel was to hide it and it was you know, never to be seen again. Because God's message was given so that his people would know the future, but in God's due time. The book was to be treasured, it was to be protected, and it was to be shared with the Jewish people. But the book was sealed, okay, in this sense. That is, the full meaning of what Daniel wrote about wouldn't be understood until the time of the end. Daniel didn't even totally understand all that he saw heard and wrote because it was for another time when the apostle john finished the book of revelation he was told to keep the book unsealed because the time was at hand in revelation twenty two ten. now we need the book of daniel so that we can understand the book of revelation better at least 71 passages from daniel are quoted or suggested uh, in, uh, suggested too in 16 New Testament books and most of them in the book of Revelation. It says in Daniel that many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Now, some people think that, you know, in, in this, this time that knowledge will increase, this isn't talking about, you know, cars and the jet planes and, and all of these modern things that we see today. It's not talking about the advancement of education, people getting smarter, because I think people have proven they're not much smarter today than, you know, back then. It refers to the study of God's word in the last days, especially the study of prophecy. Amos warns us the day will come when there's going to be a famine of God's word. And he says, people are going to run to and fro. That is, they're going to run from here to there. They're going to, they're going to be looking for truth, but they're not going to find it. But God's promise to Daniel is that in the last days, his people can increase in their knowledge of prophetic scripture as they apply themselves to the word of God, as they read it. 
Now, some interpret to and fro to mean running one's eyes up and down, back and forth, to and fro over the pages of Scripture. Because in the last days, knowledge is going to be increased. And so the knowledge and the understanding of God's Word and of those prophecies dealing with our days are understood more clearly now than they were then. That they were dur- than they were during the church history or during the time of the prophets themselves when they were writing these things. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3.16, some things were written which are hard to understand. But God wanted them documented at that time in advance so that we have the prophetic writings of the scripture. But now, as we look around and we see the things that are taking place in our, in our world, we see those events unfolding. Now it's making sense. Then we start to have a clearer understanding of these prophecies. In chapter 30 here, we'll be looking at events that are going to take place on the earth during the great tribulation period. Now, these events have not happened yet. They are still future. They are still yet to come. So let's begin now in chapter 30 with verses 1 through 3. And it says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, notice, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. So God tells Jeremiah to write his words, the words that God tells him, to write them in a book or a scroll, so the nation would have a permanent record of the promises that God is giving to his people. And notice it begins here in these verses, thus the Lord God speaks. The Lord God, their covenant God. He hasn't forgotten about them. He's still concerned about them. And in God's instructions to Jeremiah, he gave the subject of his message. And that is Israel and Judah. They were the subject of his message. And they will eventually return to their land as a united people, according to verse 3. And even though this promise refers to the regathering of the Jews at the end of the age, it was definitely an encouragement to those who were in captivity in Babylon. Because if God can gather his people from all the nations around the world, he can surely deliver Judah from the captivity of one nation. And you see his promise in verse 10. Look at verses 4 through 6 now. He goes on to say, Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces turned pale? So Jeremiah sees the people suffering. He sees the misery that's going to come upon mankind during this time of great tribulation. And he compares it to to a woman, you know, who is having the labor pains of birth. Jesus said, then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor shall ever be. Matthew 24, 21. A tribulation. It's going to take place. A tribulation much worse than any that the world has ever seen or will ever see. 
it's about to break out upon the Jews. And this description fits the Old Testament previews of the Great Tribulation. That is the last three and a half years of the Tribulation. The word tribulation refers to the future seven-year period of distress that is Daniel's 70th week in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7 and Daniel 9, 26. The term great tribulation refers to the last half or the second three and one half years of that seven-year period that Jeremiah called the time of Jacob's trouble here in verses 6 through 7. During the first half of the tribulation, the first three and a half years, Israel is going to enjoy the protection that the Antichrist made with them. The Antichrist made a covenant, a covenant with them during the first three and a half years. But during the second half, the second three and a half years of that seven-year period, the Antichrist is going to break his covenant with Israel, and she's going to experience persecution like never before. The Great Tribulation is going to be the worst of all times for the Jews. This coming distress will be like no other in its suffering. And Daniel says the same thing in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. He says, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. So Jeremiah says the same thing here in chapter 30. That there's never been a time in history that will match the judgment that the earth is going to go through during the Great Tribulation period. There will be nothing like it in the history of man. The horrible bloodshed that's going to take place. In Revelations, uh, Revelation chapter 16 through chapter 18, those chapters 6 through 18, it gives you all the details that are, that, that about this period. This period of time when the stars, it says, will fall from the sky hitting the earth. Catastrophic disturbances of nature, a shaking of the earth's foundation. The moving of oceans and mountains disappearing in tremendous floods and famines. Unlike anything that's ever happened before. Catastrophic, uh, catastrophic events that will be shaking the earth. Earthquakes and so on. Unlike any devastation history has ever seen or ever will see. Nothing in history can compare to it. As God brings his judgment and wrath on this rebellious earth because of its rebellion against him, his word, and his reign. Notice it says, verse 6, it, it just is something to, to note. Notice he says, now let me ask, I'm reading from the New Living Trans, uh, Translation. He says, now let me ask you a question. God says, do men give birth to babies? We chuckle because we know it does. But what is being said today? Men can have babies. We heard of that man, I read it to you a couple weeks ago, who said he was pregnant to a classroom of kids. This is important because it's a doctrine for us to remember when people, hey, so wait a minute, take him back here and say, hey, listen to what God says. Do men, he, he's mocking it. Do you have men? You know, he says, but he says, but he says why are they standing there ashen faced or pale? You know, in other words, they're, he's described, they're men going through this time, this pain, time like a woman having a, a child. They're, they're going through this pain as a result of the judgment. But he uses that example, do men give birth to babies? Again, obviously not. When they, set their, when they see their cities burning and their countries laid waste, again, they're going through this labor, this pain like a woman giving birth. Verse 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. 
and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So Jeremiah sees the great day of the Lord coming that the other prophets, including Isaiah, also had spoke about. They said it's going to be a day of darkness and that the people are going to go through the darkness of the great tribulation period uh, before they're going to see any future light, before they see the brightness of day. What God is saying here is you haven't seen anything yet, you guys. And he's talking to those who are in exile and going through a tough time. He says, man, you haven't seen anything yet. The great tribulation period is going to be a lot worse than what you are going through now in captivity. So that day... As Jeremiah refers to it, that day is Jeremiah's phrase for the great tribulation period, for the time of Jacob's trouble. But he says, Jacob will be saved from it, or Israel. They're told to flee in the book of Revelation to the wilderness where God's going to protect them and he's going to take care of them for three and a half years. The book of Revelation tells us that, that God's going to seal 144,000 of them, the Jews, and they won't be hurt by the plagues during the great tribulation period. So God's going to divinely protect his people and take care of them, the Jews, during that period of time. Look at verses 8 through 9 now. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them. Verse 9. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Now, out of that awful time of trouble, the tribulation period, the people of Israel are going to return to their land. It says David will be raised up from the dead and will rule over them as they enter the kingdom age. Now, the promise in verse 9 applies to the future kingdom age. This is referring to Jesus Christ following the tribulation when Messiah will reign over his people. Remember when Jesus was here on the earth, his people said, we will not have this man, this man to reign over us. But in that day, they will recognize their Messiah King, and they're going to welcome him. So verse 9 goes on into the kingdom. God is going to set them free. They won't be a curse any longer to this world or among the world. They won't be hated anymore by the nations of the world. But they'll come and they'll serve the Lord their God. And David, which is a picture of Jesus Christ. So when he says, hey, well, Jesus Christ is the one he's talking about. When he says, David will rise up. Jesus Christ, well, the son of David, is going to rule and he's going to reign. And he's going to be fulfilling many of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the reign, the eternal reign of the son of David, Jesus Christ. All of this will be fulfilled through Jesus. Verse 10. Therefore, do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return, have rest and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid. It was a judgment upon the people there, but God loves them with an everlasting love. And God, God's going to bring them back into their land and he, because he loved Israel, but yet he had to judge them. This is a bittersweet message. All through Jeremiah, you have a message of joy, but you also have a message of sorrow. God judged Israel, but he also said, he that scattered Israel will gather them and keep them like a shepherd does his flock, and a shepherd truly watches over his flock. 
And the Lord says to Israel, <clears throat> either, you know, again, Jacob or Judah, they're all the, the same, you know, meaning the same. They're talking about Israel. Notice what he says to them in verse 11. He says, for I am with you, says the Lord, to save you, though I make a full end of the nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. What he's saying, though I'm going to bring an end to those nations who scattered you, I'm not going to bring you to an end. Speaking of Israel, I will not make a completed end of you, but I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. So he tells them, I'm with you. Israel, from time to time, we know, is in the news. And they're going to continue to be in the news until Jesus comes back to become their king. Verse 11 sums up the main promises concerning Israel. First, verse 11 speaks of the preservation of Israel. God says, notice, for I am with you and will save you, says the Lord, but I will not completely destroy you. So we see the preservation of Israel. Now, a lot of people think that Israel is going to be destroyed. And it, it, you know, when you see what the Bible describes, it sounds like they would be destroyed. They're going to be completely surrounded by their enemy, you know, uh, many times over. All the nations of the world are going to line up against Israel. But they're not going to be any match for Jesus Christ, their Messiah. He's going to save Israel when he comes back to earth. And he's going to be when he becomes Israel's king. The second promise we see in verse 11 concerning Israel is the persecutors of Israel. He says to them, I will completely destroy the nations where I have scattered you. Those nations that mistreated Israel from the time of the captivity up to our times, man, they don't have a good future. God's curse, according to Genesis 12, 3, comes upon all of those who mistreat the Jews. These nations might oppress Israel. They may appear to be able to overthrow Israel and to destroy Israel, but they're not going to. They won't succeed in their opposition to Israel. Instead, the day is going to come when it will be their end because they opposed Israel, because they came against Israel. The third promise verse 11 gives us concerning Israel is Israel's punishment. Notice it says there in verse 11, I will discipline you, speaking of Israel, but with justice. I cannot let you go unpunished. God must punish sin. And if he punished his people back then, what do you think is going to happen to this nation? Israel is going to be chastened for their sins. Israel's big problem is because of the rejection of Jesus Christ. That's the root cause of all of their troubles today. And you know, it's many times the root cause of our trouble today in rejecting Jesus Christ. Once Israel receives Christ, their problems will be over. Their enemies will all be defeated and Israel will become the greatest nation on earth. But notice, God is chasing them here, he says, because of their sin. But they're chasing, he says, I'm not going to destroy you. Their chasing is going to purify them. And you know, that's God's purpose for his chastening, for all of us. He wants to purify us. He wants to bring us back and put us on the right track. When Jesus comes again, that's when this is going to be all fulfilled. It says the Lord is going to be with them to save them. It says, and he will completely destroy the nations 
where I have scattered you, the nations that the world, uh, the nations of the world will be brought to an end, but not Israel. The kingdom of God will then be set up. There will be one king. There's going to be one Lord over the whole earth. There won't be a United States. There won't be a Mexico, a Canada, a Europe, a South America. It's going to be one nation truly under God. We'll all be one people living under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. Verse 11 in the New Living Translation says, So even though I will completely destroy the nations where I have scattered you, you, Israel, I will not completely destroy you. But I will discipline you, but with justice, that is with fairness. I can't let you go unpunished. He says, you're going to be, have to be punished for your sins. Look what he says in verse 12. For thus says the Lord, notice, because here, here's why. Your affliction is incurable, your wound is severe. In other words, in Isaiah's day, Judah was a sick nation. And, thanks, and it's because of the, the, the phony ministry of the false prophets. Their sickness, God says, became worse in Jeremiah's day. Their spiritual wounds were so bad that there was no medicine that could cure the nation. And the allies, as, as they're called their lovers, that is the Jewish leaders that they trusted, abandoned Judah and left them to this judgment. So they're going to have to be judged and they're going to have to go through a time of judgment and surely the Jews have and even to this present day are being judged. Verse 13. He says, there's no one to plead your cause. Notice that you may be bound up. You have no healing medicines. There's only one that can heal the kind of thing that God is talking about here, and that's the Lord. Jeremiah's counter counterpart was Ezekiel. <clears throat> and while Jeremiah was prophesying in Jerusalem, Ezekiel was prophesying at the same time to the Jews that had already been taken captive. And they're both saying a lot of the same things because they're both speaking the word of the Lord and they're both true prophets of God. And, when, and, and because they're true prophets of God, they're both speaking the word. And that's the way it should be. We should all be speaking the word of the Lord. Again, one prophesying uh, to those that are still in Jerusalem. One is prophesying to those who have been taken captive to Babylon. But yet there's a sad statement, though, in Ezekiel's prophecy. As God speaks of the judgment that came upon the nation. In Ezekiel twenty two thirty, listen to what it says. God said, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. What a sad statement. Here Jeremiah says just about the same thing in, in, in verse 13. He says, I, God says, I didn't find anyone to plead your cause. There's no one to help you, God said. This suggests that if there had been men who would have stepped up at the time to intercede, to pray, to be real prayer warriors, that the nation could have been spared. God was looking for men among them. He was looking for men who would stand in the gap and who would pray for the people, who would fill that void, men who would intercede. <clears throat> because there were no intercessors to be found, God's judgment came. God is letting us know how we need to be intercessors. Because our nation is the same kind of a dangerous position that Israel and Judah were in before they went into captivity. 
The same conditions that existed then exist now. The same attitude that was in their heart then seems to be in our heart now. A carelessness for the things of God and a, and a, and a drawing to or a love for the pleasures of the world. A.W. Tozer said, No Oriental monarch ever ruled his cowering subjects with any more cruel tyranny than things. Visible things, audible things, tangible things rule mankind today. What did God say? Hey, you can't be friends with the world. You can't be friends with the world. The world is our enemy in the sense of what it what it does, it occupies so much of us, so much of our time that it takes us away from the Lord. A forsaking of the Lord. The lawlessness and the rebelliousness of the things that were taking place in Judah seem to be taking place here. And God is looking for intercessors today. Men and women who will pray, who, who confess their sins and pray. And I will heal their nation. Men and women who will stand in the gap. Men and women who will spill that, fill that spiritual void and they will pray. And because no one was there to plead their cause, the judgment came. Notice verse 13 says, you have no healing medicines. In other words, there's no one to help you or to bind up your wound and no medicine does any good. Verses 14 and 15. All your lovers have forsaken you. They do not seek you. For I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude, notice, of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. Verse 15. Why do you cry about your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable because of the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. Notice, underline that. I have done these things to you. The people in verses 14 through 15 are now crying out because of the terrible things they were going through. That is the Babylonian captivity and all of these things that, that came with it. God says, hey, it's because of your sins that these things have come upon you. He says, I have done these things to you. Isaiah said in chapter 63, verse 10, they rebelled, they grieved his Holy Spirit, so he turned himself against them as an enemy, and he fought against them. You can't, you can't come against God, you can't sin against God, live apart from and, and expect him to be an ally. It says he fought against them because they grieved his Holy Spirit, they rebelled against him, and he turned himself against them as an enemy. Verses 16 through 19. He goes on to say, therefore, all those who devour, you shall be devoured. And all your enemies, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall become plunder. And all who prey upon you, I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Lord, because they call you an outcast, saying, this is Zion, no one seeks her. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places. The city shall be built upon its own mound, and the palace shall remain according to its own plan. Then out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of those who make merry. He says, I will multiply them, and they shall not diminish. I, shall, I will also glorify them, and they shall not be small. He says in these verses, All those who devour you, are going to be devoured. 
God says, I'm going to destroy the nations that destroyed you. Those that devour you are going to be devoured. And he's speaking again of the great tribulation period. So dark days are coming. But he says, after those dark days, the glorious day of the Lord and God is going to heal them. And they're going to be restored and God's going to bless them. There's going to be voices of thanksgiving. There's going to be voices of praise and joy again in Israel. He says, God says, as he multiplies them, he's going to multiply them. Verse 20. Their children also shall be as before, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all who oppress them. God said to Abraham in his covenant to Abraham, in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know, we, we, we're seeing it more and more. There has been, but more today. There's a lot of anti-Semitism in the world today, right now. We see it, we hear it on the news more and more. There's a dangerous anti-Semitism that's even picking up speed in churches today. And one reason is because some people think or say that God is finished with Israel as a people and as a nation. And that we, the church, are now Israel. Now, now if, that was, if that would really mess up prophecy, the scriptures, to think that we are Israel. Because there's a lot of promises and prophecies about Israel that don't apply to us. So people think that, that God has, are, is finished with Israel as a people and as a nation, that we, the church, are now Israel. And they try to take the prophecies and make them apply to the church rather than to Israel. That's very dangerous because in reality, the results of that thinking is growing anti-Semitism within the church. You cannot, we cannot be blessed by God and be against God's people, the Jews. Even though, hey, they've been disobedient to God and they've been chastened by God, let God take care of his people. We need to bless the Jew, pray for them, and we will be blessed. Because if you're against, when I say you, not you personally, but when people are against the Jews, God's going to be against them. You can't, again, if you're against God, you're good, if you're against God, Israel, God is going to bring judgment upon you. You can't escape it. God speaks here about how he's going to punish those that oppress them, his people. Verses 21 through 23. Their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. Notice God's wrath falls on who? The head of the wicked. His wrath doesn't fall on the church. Because Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, God has not appointed us, the church, to wrath. Jesus said in Luke 21, 36, Pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. Speaking of the great tribulation that's coming upon the earth. Praying that you might be standing on the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. 
We have the blessed hope of Christ's glorious coming. And He's coming as our great God and Savior. He's going to rapture us up to heaven to be with Him forevermore while the great tribulation is taking place down here. So the whirlwind of God's glory will fall on the wicked. Let's close with verse 24. The fierce anger of the Lord will not return until He has done it and until He has performed the intents of His heart. In the latter days, you will consider it or you'll understand all of this. The intents of God's heart is to judge this God-rejecting, Christ-rejecting, blaspheming world. And then as Jeremiah says here, in the last days, in those days, then you will come to understand all of this, all that's been prophesied. And in these last days, we can see that the world is ripening, ripening for God's judgment. Father, we thank you so much for your awesome word, Lord. We thank you, Father, for your promises. We thank you, God, that you take care of us, God, that you watch over us. Father, may our eyes be opened, may our hearts be opened, may our ears be opened to see and to hear all of these things, God. Lord, we've been warned. We, we can't say we were caught off guard, Father. We can't say we didn't know, Lord, because we do know, and we are respons- responsible for what we hear. We are responsible to apply, apply it to our lives. So, Lord, let us not be taking your word for granted that this is just a big fairy tale, but it's your word. And you did come the first time, but you came as Savior. When you come this second time, you will come as judge. And Lord, let us be ready. May we confess our sins, Lord. Confess to you that we are sinners. And Father, that we need to make things right with you, God. And make you our Savior and our Lord. And Father, to to ask for the filling of your Spirit to guide us, to teach us, to empower us to live for you, Lord. And to give you thanks and to give you glory for giving your life